Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. Brand is the stories people share about you. Brand storytelling is really about taking control of those stories. So defining, knowing what you want your brand to be. So do you want to be known as um, a risk taker or do you want to be known as a strategic thinker or do you want to be known as customer focused or integrity or whatever it is, knowing what you want your brand to be and then clearly doing things that, you know, actually living that brand, but also finding stories that you can share that demonstrates it, that amplifies it. Welcome back. I hope your week's been awesome so far. If you haven't yet listened to my recent conversations with the lead boss from Action Incubator, Kat Stancic, and with Arliss Dudley Cash from Solutions by Arliss, then do check them out, but only after you've listened to today's conversation. I'm really excited today to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest, best-selling author and leadership specialist, Gabrielle Dolan. Gabrielle is a global thought leader on business storytelling and real communication. She's a highly sought-after keynote speaker, and her client list is really impressive, including the likes of Visa, Amazon, EY, Uber, Accenture, Telstra, and the Obama Foundation, to name-drop just a few. She's the best-selling author of six books, including Real Communication and Stories for Work. In her latest book, Magnetic Stories, connect with customers and engage employees with brand storytelling, Gabrielle draws on extensive experience to provide a practical guide to unpacking our brand story to rapidly improve customer and employee loyalty, regardless of size or industry. Packed with fabulous tools and case studies, Magnetic Stories shows us how to utilize the power of brand storytelling to captivate our customers and engage our team. In our conversation today, Gabriel talked to me about connecting at a human level with authentic brand stories. We talked about the difference between case studies and case stories, and we talked about bringing values to life with stories. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Gabriel Dolan. Dolan. 
Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from very close to where I am, actually, in the bigger scheme of things, um, but at the same time, a long way away because of COVID lockdowns. Um, from Melbourne, Australia, Gabriel Dolan, who's a speaker and author and a master storyteller. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Gabriel. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Thanks, Jürgen. It is good to be here. And yes, sometimes we can be close, but if it's more than five kilometres, we're, we're a long way away from each other. That's right. Yeah. Now, your latest book, you, you've actually written seven books as far as I, I found out. Mm -hmm. Your latest book is Magnetic Stories, and it's all about connecting with customers and engaging employees with what you call brand storytelling. So I'm really curious to find out a lot more about that i've been listening to the book and really enjoying it and certainly that idea of connecting with customers building that human connection is something that i'm very passionate about in our marketing work and and also in our podcasting so i think there's a great overlap um, before we start talking about all things storytelling and brand storytelling and that human connection what what is it that drives you and what impact are you making in the world gabriel well, I think what, what let me say what impact I'm hoping, and it, and it is to do with storytelling. I'm I'm I guess I'm passionate about helping leaders be the best leaders they can be because I think if leaders are really good leaders, it has such a ripple effect with the people that work for them. It's just like, um, and you know, and, we, and we've all worked in organisations with really bad leaders, and that's that's not a situation you want to be in. So when it comes down to storytelling and the, the work I do and are all around, you know, authentic communication and leadership, the biggest thrill I get is when I work with um, leaders, so I, I'll go in and run a workshop and people say to me, I have never, ever thought before of using a personal story in business to communicate a business message. Um, and some even say, I didn't even think we were allowed to, which is sort of code for <laughs> I didn't think it was professional. So mm. one of the things I love is, yes, I give them the skill how to do storytelling well, but I feel like I give them permission and, and role model how effective it is, and then they go out and do it. And, and what I know is when leaders start sharing stories to communicate better, they become better communicators, they become better leaders, and everyone wins from that. They win from it, the people there, the, you know, that work for them win for it, and the organisation wins. So that's, um, I hope that's the legacy I'm leaving, that, um, you know, once people sort of understand the power of storytelling and know how to do it, they continue to do it, which changes the way they communicate and lead forever and for the better. Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I was reminded when you said, you know, people didn't even realise they were allowed to. Um, back in in the early days in particular of my corporate career, it was like, okay, when you come in here, you're at work and that's your work persona and everything else has to stay outside. And, and yet um, that personal connection, that human connection we talked about at the beginning only comes about because we are human, because there's there's other stuff that we do outside of the environment we're in right now. So it's kind of fascinating. Um, I guess I'd like to understand a little bit more what you do to create that environment where people feel comfortable in sharing those personal stories. Yeah, look, I I think one of the things I do is I share my own personal stories. So sharing stories, and I should say, my concept of sharing personal stories in business to get your message across doesn't necessarily mean that your personal story is like 
what you call like overly personal or too yeah, personal. Yeah. It's not about, it could literally just be something that happened on the weekend or, you know, um, mm. something when you were a kid growing up. So it's what I mean by personal story is it just didn't happen at work. It sort of happened outside the work environment and how you, how you link that, um, personal story to your business message. But what I, what I do do is I know people come into my workshop like, um, I've been doing this for 17 years and when I first started doing this, there were people that would come to the training just thinking it was just a load of crap, really. It's just like <laughs> um, there, w- there would be three three groups of people. There'd be the, the people that go, yeah, I actually have heard about storytelling, want to get better at it. There, the vast majority of the people were going, I'm not really sure about it, but I'm willing to like learn about it. And then there'd be a, a big group that would just go, there is no way known I'm doing storytelling or, you know, I've been telling stories all my life. What could you tell me about this? And gradually over the last 17 years, the people in that bracket of this is a load of crap have, has pretty much diminished. Like I, I, they, I never even, I, or they, they don't say it anymore. Um, and the vast majority of people truly understand the power of it um so so we're there and they want to get better at it so i think with anything like you're doing you're creating this really safe environment for people to share i role model right from the start that it's not about you know revealing your biggest most deepest darkest and fears and and because i think some people come in thinking it's about that i remember i ran a session a couple of years ago and this guy walked in and he went we're not going to be doing any role models are we (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or role modeling or role, no role playing we're not going to be role playing are we and i went no why the hell would we we, we role playing he went oh oh that's good i thought you'd make us role play something and i went no and then i go well, we, we will we will be doing interpretive dance <laughs> it's just like any <laughs> just relax okay no we're not role playing we're not doing interpretive dance but yes you're going to be telling a story because you're coming to hmm. a storytelling workshop so i think it's just about creating um a safe environment sharing your own stories, role modeling what storytelling is. And, um, you know, in the end, every, everyone shares a story and, and also they, they choose which story they share. So That's I'm right. not, I'm not, I'm not forcing them to share a story mm. that they're not comfortable with. I'd never do that to anyone. Yeah. I think, um, it's important to kind of delineate that to say that when, when we say personal, it might be like, Hey, on the weekend, I, I went, down to lawn in fact this is a true story two weekends ago just in between the two lockdowns the most recent um went down to lawn and i could talk about all the photographs i took and there was actually a lighthouse in Aries inlet where i took photographs and there's a whole story behind that and the reason why i went to take photographs of that lighthouse so mm. that that's a personal story but it's not it's not something that you know it might be a deep dark secret that i'd only share with my very closest trusted friends or family members right yeah that's different again yeah absolutely and then i always say that you as the storyteller choose which stories you share and with with whom with whom you share them so you know you might share a deeply personal story perhaps in a one-on-one situation at work or maybe even with your team but you may not necessarily share it with a customer or up on stage in front of hundreds of people so you do you got to be really mindful of that, and um, I, I do see some comms people try to force senior execs to share stories that are just mm. they just shouldn't be sharing them. It's it's either too raw for them, um, mm. or they haven't healed from them. And you know, I think you're setting I think you're setting people up for failure when you do that. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's counter to 
creating that safe environment, isn't it? Well, people feel a bit threatened. They have to share something that's that's really deeply personal as opposed to just like what I did last weekend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember um, I got a call from a, a comms professional who wanted me to do some one-on-one work with a senior exec because he was going to be presenting, you know, at a big conference to his 250 leaders and um they said he's got a really good story, but he's reluctant to share it. And mm. and when I sat down with him and he did tell me the story and he literally said, I he goes, I only actually told my wife and children about this a few mm. weeks ago. And I just said to him, I don't think you should share that story. It's too raw for you. And he goes, yeah, that's, he goes, I don't want to. I go, well, you're not. And so what I did is work with him, you know, what messages do you want to get across and you know we were clear on the messages and then we found a whole lot of other more appropriate stories that um got the message across in a more effective way than this this big personal story would have Hmm. that's that's something i'd like to explore some more i mean i'm going to ask about brain stories so we'll go there but I'd, i'd like to come back to this one in terms of finding a story that matches the message because that's one thing i struggle with quite a bit i've got another podcast i do and 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 i always have okay there's a message and i've got some things i want to share around that but then what's a good story and i probably stretch myself because i want to have a almost a story that's not directly related to that actual content but is almost a metaphor for something so i guess i stretch myself perhaps so far that I struggle to come up with that story. <laughs> so I'll come back to that, but I wanted to sort of uh, go to the fundamentals a little bit and say, well, what what do you mean by brand stories? What are brand stories and why are they important? Yeah, look, I think to explain what brand storytelling is, it's, it's important to, I guess, understand what brand is. And, um, you know, I, writing the book, I did a whole lot of research on what brand and there's a couple of really good quotes. There's so many definitions of what brand is. And my favorite definition comes from Jeff Bezos. And he says, your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And my slight, my variation on that is that your brand are the people, are the stories people share about you when you're not in the room. Cause I think ultimately people, you know, if someone says, what are they like? They will ultimately tell a story about mm. them. So, and your brand's important. I mean, you know, everyone's got a brand. Every single person's got a brand. Whether you know about it or not, you've got a brand. And your brand's important. It's, it's Your brand will determine if people employ you, if people buy you, if people work for you, if they support you or refer you. So it's really important. So if, it, if it's that important, you sort of need to take control of it. And mm-hmm. so if brand is the stories people share about you, Brand storytelling is really about taking control of those stories. So defining, knowing what you want your brand to be. So do you want to be known as um, a risk taker or do you want to be known as a strategic thinker or do you want to be known as customer focused or integrity or whatever it is, knowing what you want your brand to be and then clearly doing things, you know, actually living that brand, Mm. but also finding stories that you can share that demonstrates it, that amplifies it. So to me then, and then it becomes this like, you know, like cyclical process of doing stuff um, that generates stories, but then also maybe sharing those stories. Mm. And I mean, what you said is really key there. And it reminds me of, you know, I used to do a fair bit of work in reputation management because with online reviews starting to really pop up and um, 
and been really popular over the last 10 years or so, people became concerned that, oh, somebody's written a, a negative review about their dealings with us, about their service with us, and and how can we remove that negative review? And I would always say, well, that's not the right approach. The approach is to actually take control of the whole system and encourage people that have positive experiences to share their positive experiences and then use those negative reviews to reach out to people and find out what it was that didn't work and how you can improve on that so take control and oh we don't want to go out and and do that can't we just remove the review and i said well the thing is you know the reputation you've got a reputation whether you'd like it or not you can't pretend that um, we'll just suppress those people that have bad things to say and it's better to take control of it. So it's pretty much the same thing around brand, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you said reputation. I mean, that, that, mm. That's your brand, isn't it? What, like yeah, what, yeah. what are you known for? Um, yeah, whether you call it your brand, your reputation, that it's, it's the same thing, but it's, um, it's exactly mm. the same, yeah. And one of the things that you do in the book, you've got a bunch of case studies and, and the case studies you know, a lot of businesses have case studies on their website, but they're not necessarily presented as, as a story. And you've turned them around as a story. So you kind of combine the best of both worlds there. Here's a case study of a customer that's used our thing or uh, engaged us to help them. And here's the results they're getting. But in a way that it's a whole story. So it's engaging. People find it fascinating and interesting. And they also say, well, this is what it's like to work with that business or that person. Yeah, it, it's um, you're right. I, I called the case studies case stories, and it's an interesting thing because I always sort of say a case study is not a story, and, and there's a very big difference between a case study and a story. Um, I run a business on storytelling, and I absolutely use case studies. In fact, in one of my other books, there's um, case studies at the back, and they are your traditional case studies where it was, um, you know, three clients that I work with. It was pretty much going, you know, what their what their issue was. What was the intervention? What we did? What were the results? And so that that is a typical case study, and, mm. and they can provide really valuable information. But they're not stories. And um, in my previous book, they weren't stories because because this was book was um, you know called magnetic stories. What I, I did play with the concept of instead of calling them case studies. Because I think case studies can become stories in the way they're written. So I wrote them in a way that feels like an overall story, but it's still got the, um, you know, the valuable information of what they actually did in a case study, but I deliberately wrote it in a way that felt like a story and therefore I I just um, <laughs> called them case stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you reminded me of the, the title of the book there and that's Magnetic Stories. So. Um, and and we talked about connecting at a human level. So what what is it that makes a story magnetic as opposed to just somebody's relating a something that happened to them or that happened to somebody else? And and how does that bring about that connection? What else do you need to do to bring about that genuine human connection between the storyteller and the people that are being told the story? Yeah, I um when I was thinking of a name for the book, I was trying to think of a like a name because I knew a really good story. What a really really good story could do was you could have this like instant connection to it. 
Like once you heard the story, it was like this instant connection. It was actually pretty hard to pull away. And I was trying to think of a name for the book. And that's why I came up with magnetic stories because it is like a magnet. It's like this instant attraction that's, that's pretty hard to pull away from. Um, my husband was thinking of a name for the book and at one stage said, I've got a perfect name for your book. It's called Teflon Stories. And <laughs> I just looked at my dad. That is like the complete opposite of what I – so, you know, when you said what makes a magnetic story a ma magnetic or, and I'm thinking, or Teflon. <laughs> so mm. Teflon's great when you're cooking an egg, not great when you're sharing stories. Mm. So I get what what may – and I might, I might give you an example because this is an example from the book where I think it – um, I think it highlights what a really good magnetic story, a magnetic brand story can do. Um, it's it, growing up, I was a I was a real tomboy where I'd be playing cricket and football and riding on my BMX bike and skateboard, and I was never really into dolls, and so I never owned a Barbie doll. And over the last couple of decades where Barbie Barbie had a pretty bad brand, like a yeah. pretty bad reputation where, you know, she was, it was a, you know, poor role model for girls, unattainable body image, all that. And I happily went along with that story and actually never refused to, I've got two daughters who are now 17 and 20, but never bought them Barbie dolls and would never consider buying them Barbie dolls. And in researching for the book, I came across the backstory to Barbie which is Barbie was invented by Ruth Handler, who was the wife of one of the co-founders of Natal that make Barbie. And what she noticed, this was in the 1950s, she had two children, a, a son and a daughter, um, called Barbara and Ken. And, yes, Ken and Barbie are named after their kids. Um, but what she noticed is that when both of them were playing with their dolls, both of them imagined themselves as adults. And why Ken was encouraged to imagine himself as an astronaut and a firefighter and a superhero, the only thing Barbara could imagine herself was a caregiver. So she pitched the idea of Barbie being a 3D doll with interchangeable clothes. Um, and, you know, initially she got rejection from it, but she persisted. And, and in 1959, Barbie debuted at the New York Toy Fair. And there's a quote from Ruth Handler that she said, my whole philosophy with Barbie was that through the doll, the little girl could imagine herself to be anything she wanted to be. Mm. That Barbie always represented the fact that women have choices. And when I heard that story and read that story, it completely changed my opinion of the brand of Barbie, like completely changed it. And not only, you know, will probably, you know, influence my future buying habits, but it completely changed my opinion. That one story, this this belief that I had held strong for probably 30 years of Barbie not being good for women and not being a good role model for girls completely changed in that one story. Um, and that's and that's almost like what a magnetic story can do. So it can help people attract to your brand or, you know, it's like you said, if you're getting bad reviews, if you go with the positive stories, how it can change. Um, and I'm amazed, uh, Jürgen, how many people read my book. And, I, I'm, you know, as an author, I hope the first thing they say is, oh, my God, I loved your book. It was so good. You know what the first thing they say is? You've completely changed my opinion of, Bra of Barbie. Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I heard that and I thought, hmm, that's interesting because, um, you know, I've got a – I was talking about my daughter earlier before we started recording and um, I've also got a son. And when they were growing up, I mean, first of all, we were very careful to make sure that they both had opportunities to play with dolls as well as um, trucks and fire engines and whatnot. And, of course, because the older one was the boy, he, you know, he had 
all this stuff there. So it was there for the younger one as well. We did, she did have Barbie dolls. I don't recall whether we bought the first one or whether it was a gift from another family member. But what happened very quickly was I started looking around. Well, you know, she loved dressing and undressing. I mean, she would dress and undress herself at two years old. She'd kind of go through her entire wardrobe every day, <laughs> much to the, much to the, um, to the consternation of us that had to do the washing. <laughs> but um, she then, of course, loved to dress the Barbie doll. But I very quickly realised that hey, there are all these other clothes that you could have for the Barbie doll that essentially, you know, made her an astronaut or made her a, a fireman or I can't remember all the different ones there were, but we would sort of buy these. And and I I don't know whether I was that conscious of it at the time, but reflecting back of it when you said that, I thought, well, yeah, that's right because it basically gave my daughter permission to dress up this Barbie doll as anything she wanted and therefore it was kind of, it was okay for her this, you know, because the Barbie doll image is a very attractive um, young woman, right? So it's okay for an attractive young woman to have all these different career paths available yeah. to her. Yeah, and it's, it's, it comes back to the whole you can't be what you can't see, and I think mm. that through the doll, you know, and they were pretty progressive when you look at some of them, you know. In the 1960s they had things like, you know, Barbie CEO and Barbie astronaut. Mm. Like they were very, very progressive. Yeah, that's right. I, I love With a suit and a briefcase. <laughs> yeah, I love the latest range that they've actually just released and it's all um, it, it's dedicated to all the female scientists around the world responding to COVID and they've actually, you know, after, like literally modelled them after five or six uh, women, which is pretty amazing. Mm. But anyway, but what, what the, the sad thing is I had to look really hard for that story. <laughs> I was researching and I had to look really yeah. hard for it um, and I thought what a miss, and it's probably one of the reasons I wrote the book too because I kept seeing these missed opportunities and thinking why would that story not be front and centre on their website? Mm. Why would that story not be on every single Barbie package. Um, it, so I, it's one of the reasons I wrote the book is I, I don't think companies and individuals uh, just quite understand the power of what these stories can do for them and do for their own personal brand or or a company brand. Yeah, well, that that's that was where I was going to go next because having heard you tell that story on and I listened to it on an audio book, having heard you tell that story. And I said, oh, yes, of course, you know, the, my daughter grew up with a Barbie doll and, yes, we had all these different clothes and, yes, that kind of was like giving her permission that she could be anything she wanted to be, but that wasn't front of mind because they didn't have it on their packaging. They didn't, you know, they didn't promote it like that, so they didn't really tell their story. Mm. Mm. Uh, so in terms of, I mean, there's, there's that aspect of it where a business tells their story or doesn't, uh, but also how how do you make that part of the living culture of the whole organisation? Because it's in some ways, to me, like let's say you go in and work with a company and you help them develop their brand story, it, there's a risk that it becomes sort of like a values exercise and, and those values end up in the in the bottom drawer they might come back out again in a year's time or they might be actually painted on the walls but 
translating them into the behavior and the culture of the company is is another thing how do yeah. you how do you kind of make sure that it actually becomes part or it, first of all it comes from the culture and then it remains the culture remains true to that story yeah i um you know i've i've all my career i've either worked in corporates or worked for corporates and i've been through so many values rollouts which you know which is exactly what you'd happen they'd paint the values on the wall um they'd print them on coffee mugs and on mouse pads and it's almost like tick values roll out and then then they wonder why six months later or 12 months later or two years later no one can even like does, no one even knows what they are or, or you know what that they, they think they're going to be really smart and create an acronym you know turn them into an acronym that that way people will remember it no no that doesn't work everyone always forgets the last one i'm telling you that always forgets the last one so what the vast majority of the work i do and whether this is you know to me whether it's about brand or culture or values is that i truly believe that you cannot bring your values to life without a story you, you just without sorry without stories mm. um and so the vast majority of the work i do is going into organizations and going okay you've got your strategy you've got your values you've got your purpose statement vision statement whatever it is whatever you want to call them your behaviors your code of conduct your dna whatever you want to call them your leaders need to be sharing personal stories about what that means to them what each of those values means to them I'll um I'll, I'll give you an example. I, th I think mm. if I give you an example of what I mean by this, it will really make it clear. And it's, it's just typical of some of the work I do. Um, I did some work for a company, and one of their values is integrity, which you know probably ninety percent of companies have a value of integrity or something similar. And what I do is I get I take them through the process. So I'll say to them, well, what does that mean to you individually? So I remember I worked with this woman. Her name was Anne, and it was like, tell me what that means to you personally, and what what sometimes happen is people go oh integrity it means um honesty they go what else does it mean and they'll go oh you put me on the spot here i haven't really thought about it this much before so first of all that in itself you know companies ask their leaders to live and breathe the values and communicate them but actually don't even give them time to think about what it means to them and seriously I, I push them for 15 seconds and they've got nothing to say so in this one particular occasion um you know Anne had said integrity and she said look what it really means to me is doing the right thing all the time she goes i think we're really good at doing the right thing when it suits us but not when it doesn't suit us um so you know so then i take them through the process like like, like you said before how do you find your personal story to communicate that and it does end up, it does sort of end up becoming a metaphor, but how do you find a story that's not related to work? You know, where have you experienced this before? Where have you not experienced? Um, where have you done it? Where have you not done it? So I sort of take them through this process to help them find the personal stories. And, and then I, then I take them through the framework to teach them how to tell it well. But, but this is the story Anne came up with. And I, and I'd be interested to, to hear your reaction if um you know perhaps this was your manager or your ceo and they came and shared this her story was um in the early 60s my dad was a professional swimmer and he reached the point in his career where he actually tried out for the national swim squad and on the day of the meet he was apparently winning the race and he got to the end and he slightly misjudged the tumble turn and he missed the wall now this was in the early 60s so it was well before the sensor pads yeah. at the end of the wall and they had judges at the end but with all the splashing and kicking he knew they wouldn't know if he touched the wall or not but he had to make a split second decision does he go back and touch the wall or does he just keep swimming 
and he went back and touched the wall. And you don't really recover from a race when you do that. And and he didn't. He never placed and he actually never, ever made the national swim squad. And I would sometimes ask Dad, there must be days when you regret going back and touching the wall. And he would always say, I've never regretted that because if I didn't go back and touch the wall, I would have to spend the rest of my life knowing I did the wrong thing. And when I think of our value, integrity, I think of my dad. It's only a matter of time before we come across our own go back and touch the wall moment, and I invite you to consider what my dad would do. So what does that story do for you? Mm. Like, imagine, imagine if a leader is sharing around a company value of integrity with that personal story. It's just it's so much more effective. It is, yeah. It's very powerful. And, and you know, the message is so clear as well. It's, and, and the metaphors underneath that, because it's kind of like the metaphor in that for me is um, nobody would have known had he mm. kept swimming, except yeah. he would have known. Except so him. Like, you know, it's not just um, we always do the right thing, it's we do the right thing even if nobody knows. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things, Anne, when she was sort of explaining to me what integrity means, she actually said, she goes, you know, it's like that saying, do the right thing even if no one's watching. Yeah. So she could have explained that value like that, and that's what a lot of leaders do. So integrity to me is like doing the right thing even if no one's watching. But Mm. so what? It's just it still remains words on a wall. But through the story, um, you know, and I, I share this story in my workshops and I sort of say to people, what do you take from that? And they, you know, it's things like I instantly trust her. I have respect for her. She's inspiring. She, she, she's setting the standard. This is the standard of her leadership. This is what she expects for us. She's setting a culture that it's not win at all cost culture, that doing the right thing she values. Um, and so it's all this like fast track of trust, trust and relationship. And Anne has told me that she shares that every time someone comes and works for her, she shares that story, Actually, mm. regardless of what the company value. She's moved companies since, regardless yeah. of what the company value is. It's her value. It's her value, yeah. And talking about the metaphor, she will say there will be times when they've got to make a decision, you know, do they go A or B? And she goes, the conversation might start with, well, we technically we don't have to do A, legally we're not obliged to do A. And she mm. goes, it's always someone will say, this is our go back and touch the wall moment. What's the right thing to do? And everyone goes, well, clearly A is the right thing to do. So going back and touching the wall, if everyone knows the story, going back and touching the wall becomes the metaphor that you don't need to retell the story all the time because they instantly go back to it. And, and that's that's the power of it. Hmm. All right. Well, um, I mean, you, you described a little bit the process you go through there, but I, I'm curious because I, I struggle with this. I mean, my default is I often go back to some experience I've had on the bike because I'm a keen bike rider and there's always analogies there for a work scenario. So if you're riding up a hill, it, um, you have to work pretty hard and, and sometimes it can be so physically draining that I get despondent. I think I don't think I'm ever going to make it to the top of this hill. And then you just put your head down and and one foot or one pedal in front of the other, eventually you get to the top. And then, of course, you've got the wonderful view and you've got the downhill to look forward to. So that's often a metaphor for tough times in business. But if, you know, how do you kind of take a situation, say, okay, I want to highlight this point or I want to, make this point in a leadership uh, situation, how do you 
identify some really good stories that you can then craft into a magnetic story. And yeah, before. yeah. So there's a couple of things you want to be careful that you're just not share. You're just not using an analogy or a metaphor. Mm. Like, like for example, um, uh, you know, it's like when you're riding up a hill on a bike and you reach the top and you see the sunset. And it's all worth it, type thing. So, like, that's a, a analogy. What you want to be doing is a specific event. So literally, you know, the like on the weekend, yeah, I decided yeah. to ride and, and get specific, which is a lot more powerful than just an mm. analogy or a metaphor, even though ultimately it becomes a metaphor, but it's more powerful. One of the processes I take people through, because it is um, sometimes what starts first, does the you, you've got a business message you're trying to communicate and then you're trying to find a story or does a story happen and you go, I could take a business message out of that? And the reality is that it's both. It's like the chicken and the egg. Sometimes it starts differently. One of the um, processes I take people through is, um, you know, it's like this timeline activity. So with a blank piece of paper, just think of everything that's happened into you in your life and write it down. Now, that sounds ridiculous, but the point is people just go through that really quickly and we'll do it in 10 minutes. But if you sit there for a while, you'll just think of random stuff and you go, actually, that that is a good message about resilience or it's a good message about teamwork or whatever it is. So you can do that. Um, or you, so that's like should become a growing list of potential stories you could use. Um, or you start with the business message and the, the key is get really, really clear on the message. Some people just keep it a really high level when, you know, for example, the example I shared with Anne, people go, okay, I need to find a story around integrity. It was like, okay, no, break it down. What does it mean? What does it mean? It means, if you say, if you're going to do something, say, if you're going to say you're going to do something, do it. It means telling the truth. It means doing the right thing all the time. So all of a sudden there's three messages there. So you need three stories. So you just pick one of those. So I think one of the biggest mistakes is we try to put too many messages into a story, which then makes it really hard to find the story. Yeah. Um, so you do that. And then what, what I find is after people have done my training and realise the power of stories and, and real have this understanding that it's those sort of day-to-day stories that they could use any time, it's sort of like their storytelling radar goes up and you spot stories. So I know for me, I'm always on the lookout for stories. So something random could happen, just something could happen to me and I just sort of think, oh, how could I use that? Like, is, mm. is that a good story I could use? I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. This is, this, is an, this is a classic example of what I mean by this. So I, um, last year, my daughter, who Alex, is 19, she got me onto wine drops. Now, I don't, I don't know if you use wine drops, but the, the, the idea is you put five drops into your wine bottle um, and it's meant to reduce the effect preservatives have on you the next day. So this is, I remember distinctly, it was a, you know, it was in lockdown, whatever version of lockdown, I don't know, but it was uh, in the middle of winter, it was a Friday night, and it was um, I started the fire because it was freezing cold, and I opened a bottle of Shiraz and put the five drops in and poured myself a glass and poured Alex a glass. And then Alex went to refill the bottle, and she's standing in the kitchen holding up the wine drops saying, Mum, you didn't put this in the wine, did you? And I'm looking at her to go, yes, why not? And she goes, because you know they're not wine drops, they're eye drops. And she's, you know, <laughs> carrying on, carrying on with the fact that I could have poisoned her or something. And so my first reaction was, well, who was the idiot that left eye drops in the kitchen right next to the red wine bottle? That was my first reaction to blame someone else. But my second reaction was, how could I use this story? Like, yeah. this is a good little story. How could I use it? And could I get a message from that? And then I just sit there for a while and I go, that's a great story around assumptions, how we make assumptions all the time. So I made the assumption they were wine drops 
because it was a similar looking bottle, but mm. but not completely different color. Because it was next to the wine bottle, I made that assumption, I, and I did not even look at the label. But mind you, if I had read the label, the eye drop said "blink relief in every blink," and I reckon on a Friday night I would have read that as "drink relief in every drink." <laughs> but so what I do, what I do is I I have a, like a little notebook, and you can do this on a spreadsheet or mm. on your phone or a notebook where I just go assumptions, wine drops, and so I know the story. And so if it ever came up that I had to give a message around assumptions, I've, I've got it there ready to go. So you've you got to be switched on to the stories around you and how you use them. And then, and then of course, the, the skilling bit is how you actually relate it oh, because, yeah, yeah it, that's the hardest bit. You can have all the personal stories you like and all the, all the business messages and you like. The hard bit is how you relate it without, you know, without, Without going, the moral of the story is, which is a yeah, yeah, god right. awful way to end your story. Don't ever end your stories like that. Don't <laughs> right end your stories. I um, yeah, I was reminded of one. This is my story, but I didn't tell it, um, and it's kind of typical, I suppose, in a way that I, I didn't recognise that at the time. But there's, um, I was riding down the hill here, the Yu Yangs, you know, the Yu Yangs, um, mm -hmm. and um, coming down at about 70 kilometres an hour when I must have hit something with my front wheel. Next thing I know, I'm catapulting over the front handlebars thinking this is going to hurt. And sure enough, it, I was right, it did hurt. Um, I had a pretty serious crash there, fractured collarbone in about seven places, broken ribs and, and a pelvis. And I'm lying on the side of the road. Luckily, my buddies were with me and they got the ambulance and everything. And I was in real pain. And by the time I got in the ambulance, I was thinking, I've got a 10 o'clock appointment. This was 7 or so in the morning. I've got a 10 o'clock appointment with my business coach this morning. I don't think I'm going to be making that. And so <laughs> in the ambulance, I'm I'm texting. You know, and the, the ambos are saying, what are you doing? And I say, I've got to text somebody because I can't make an appointment. So I text my business coach saying, I'm not going to be able to make today's appointment. I'll get back to you later. And and she now tells this story and she says, you know, one of the things I really like about Jürgen is he's so reliable and, you know, he, he never lets you down. And if there's anything ever comes in between something that he said he was going to do and, and him doing it, he will straight away let you know up front, you know, even to the extent and then she tells that story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the first thing, so I'm in severe pain in the back of the ambulance probably at that point worried about whether they were going to do surgery on me or not, thinking, oh, I must send a text because I can't make that appointment. And you've just highlighted what brand is the stories people share about you when you're mm. not in the room. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And, and one of the other things that I thought, you know, there's a really good point in the book you talk about um, the brand, how people kind of relate to their customers or potential customers by sharing those stories and and making the brand come alive with those stories but it's also great for bringing employees on board and I thought that's that's a really great way to make sure that the employees you bring on board actually are a really good fit for the culture and and the environment that they're coming in potentially coming into yeah absolutely I think um, I think Years ago, we would have uh, communication strategies for our customers and then communication strategies for our employees. And I think 
uh, more and more that's being blurred and you know it's it's social media that's doing that so you see a lot of um CEOs, for example, that will post, do a video and post it directly to Facebook. Like Shane Elliott, the CEO of ANZ does that. So if he's posting to, to, this is to his customers and employees, but it's, it's on Facebook. Hmm. So by default, he's communicating to both at exactly the same time. So I think this blurring of, um, you know, we can put stuff out there and yes, it can, um, connect and engage with customers. It can attract potential customers, but it's also connecting, engaging and attracting good employees. So you see, you see a lot of the good, um, you know, uh, companies that have got like a really strong purpose and it's not about profit. They, they do a lot of good in the community and they're donating stuff. Um, they, they share these stories and yes, by default, they're attracting customers, but they're also attracting employees. Mm. Because more and more, and you know, all the research points to this, people are wanting to work with companies that their values are aligned and they're wanting to buy products with their, their values are aligned. So yeah, that's a really good way to share stories, to connect and engage with both customers and employees at the same time. Mm, yeah, I love it. Um, one of the things that, um, or one of the companies that I kind of admire, and I'm not sure they really are that strong on sharing their story but there is a really good story behind that that's airbnb and the founders i mean they're, they're, you know the founder story i think is is well shared but then all the work they do today in terms of supporting charities and and spending large chunks of their profit on on really worthy causes is probably not shared as widely as as perhaps they could no, no. Although they did during COVID, at the start of COVID, when they, you know, Airbnb got hit pretty hard, um, the CEO did put out a email, and again, that I, I discovered that in social media. So, so it, I, I don't think it was leaked. I think he just put it out to both, mm. and it was, um, it it actually got a really lot of good feedback because he was very transparent. He was very clear in, um, you know, clearly they had to let people go, but they, he talked about how they were doing this and and all the support they would get and and um, just just the fact that he was so so transparent and he and that he did talk about some of the other stuff they're doing. So yeah, he got a lot of kudos for that. Hmm. All right. Well, this is absolutely fabulous. Gabrielle, I could talk ages, talk story for ages, and I'm sure there's lots more stories we can share with one another. But um, seeing that the time is advancing, so I think it's a good point now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round, and it's the lightning round. I ask every guest the same five questions, and the idea is I, I, share, I share feel something. like I need my buzzer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not that strict, but it, it's um, yeah. The idea is that there's some tips that'll inspire the listener to go. And do something awesome as a result. Okay, I'm ready. Hands on buzzers. All right. <laughs> the first one is, what's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Uh, be prepared to fail. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I, um, you know, what's your take on failure? Uh, well, that's actually, to me, failure is not doing something and it not working. Mm. To me, failure is actually not having a go in the first place. There's a quote, I forget who said it, but it was like, failure is not having a go and not coming first place. Failure is not having a go in the first place. So to me, that's failure when you just, when you're not prepared to back yourself and therefore you don't give it a go. That's, that, to me, that's failure. And, and if you make mistakes, that's a great 
way to learn. I mean, it's one of absolutely, the big ways absolutely. To learn. I've just if you're not if you if you're not making mistakes, you're just not trying yeah. hard enough. I've just started doing something new, which um, I'm, I'm testing out in simulation at the moment, which is good because otherwise it would have cost me a lot of money. And I made a couple of really big mistakes this week. And I kind of keep reminding myself, this is fabulous that I've made these mistakes now in simulation because I can figure out what went wrong and how not to do it again when, yeah, you know, when it's going to cost me real money. All right. Um, the best thing you've done to develop new ideas. I um I joined uh, a, a, an organisation, I guess it's called Thought Leaders Business School, about 10 years ago, and that really helped me develop my ideas. It really stretched my thinking. Um, I'm now a partner of that and it's, it's what I, I – it's one of the things I teach as well. But I think you just got to really sit down and really stretch your thinking and develop it, and that's that's helped me, you know, that's the reason I've, I've written so many books. Hmm. So what, how, how do you go about stretching your thinking there? It's, it's going – so a lot of us, first of all, a lot of us don't even uh, allocate time to think. We allocate time to a whole lot of other stuff and especially running, you know, people that run their own business, they might allocate time to selling and they allocate time to, li to, to delivery and admin and all that stuff but don't carve out time to actually think and it's sitting there and, you know, reading and stretching and come up with ideas and drawing models and finding stories that support what you say and doing research to support what you say and some of that comes easy like stories come easy to me research doesn't and I have to force myself to do it um, and so you know drawing models initially didn't come easy but it, it really helped me develop my thinking I think models are the burpees of getting fit so just if, if you want to get physically fit do a whole lot of burpees if you want to get um, mentally thick and a thick not uh, like um, fit um do do your models hmm. yeah it's great yeah i love um writing up frameworks and building out frameworks in a visual sense which is a bit of a stretch for me although i love i love doing the frameworks but sort of articulating them visually is a stretch for me yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it's even writing the books. Like I, I would develop some thinking and go, okay, this could be a book. And I start writing the book and I get probably a third of the way through and think, okay, I'm done. This is going to be a really short book <laughs> unless I stretch more. And that's, you know, and then, you know, going speaking to people and um, doing that stuff it will stretch you even more. Hmm. Right. All right. Um, do you have a favourite resource you use most often? Uh I don't know whether we'd call it a resource, but it's uh, exercise. Mm. Like you know, talk about carving time in your in your day, in your week, to, for downtime. Now, for downtime, me is running um, stuff like that, or just you know, but do it because it's normally after a run, I come back with my best ideas. Mm. Yeah, and that's for me. That exercise time is often the downtime for the mind that you talked about earlier yeah you got it astounds me that people walk around saying wearing busy as a badge of honor like i'm busy yeah. i've been in back-to-back -back meetings and i just think but that like why are you doing that you've got a choice you've mm. got a choice and what what they're doing is they're not prioritizing downtime um and also if you're a leader or if you're a writer or a thinker or you know you've got to prioritize that because Ultimately, it's a, everyone else will suffer if you're not um, prioritizing your own thinking and you know energy and all that type of stuff. Mm. Yep, I love it. All right, um, what's the best way to keep a client on track? I think just keep talking to them. Just you know, seriously keep. 
um, understand. I've, I've been on either end, either end of the table, and I know the pressures of corporate and I know they can sort of go, yeah, we really, really want to do this. So I'll get back to you next week. And then next week comes and they haven't even had chance to think of it. So I think it's understanding that, knowing the pressures they have, but just giving a few little prompts every now and again so that you, you sort of stay frontish mind um, and just making it easy for them. Like I think I see a lot of, especially um, especially in the initial buying process or what, what we can actually do, it's coming in as the expert and going, I fully understand what you need and I think you need this, this and this and just make it easy, like do the thinking for them so they sit there and go, yeah, well, that makes sense. What do, and I go, right, what do we need? It was like, oh, just send us an invoice. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, so I think uh, making it easy for the client is something that I talk about quite a lot and I think that is such an over, uh, such an underestimated way where people can make a huge difference and and I've had lots of experience and there's lots of stories here I'm sure I need to write some of these down mm. where I've been ready to buy something I've had my credit card in front of me to type the number in and it's just been so difficult that I've ended up well I'll go and do it somewhere else or I'll yeah. find something else and I think, why do people make it so hard? Mm. Mm. And I think even when people are selling service, they make it hard. Like I've had, um, you know, people that I've mentored who, you know, will have a product or have a service. And I go, no, we, it's a 12-month program, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, you're making it really hard. And they go, well, I just, I just don't want to come in and do, like I don't want to just come in and do a half day. I need to work with them over, you know, two days. Mm. or else I won't make a difference. And I go, you're making it hard, which means you'll never get in there, which means make you'll make difference. zero difference. So at least try to make some difference. Um, but, yeah, a lot of people get in and try to – are very precious about this is the way they have to do it or we won't do it. And a lot of the times the, company, the client doesn't do it. Yeah. All right. And the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Be themselves. Mm. It's like the old uh, Oscar Wilde, be yourself, everyone else is taken. Yep. And own your stories, I think. Yeah, own like your stories. Know, know who you are, mm. know where, what you want to do and, and, and own it. Mm. That's great. And consistent with our whole conversation today, of course. All right. Well, thanks, Gabriel. This has been fabulous. Now, where can people find out more about you and get a hold of your book, The Magnetic Stories, and, of course, all the other books that you've written, the other six? And yeah, look, maybe get in touch and say thanks for what you shared today. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, all the books are available on all the, you know, normal bookstores and, you know, online and everything and audio and ebooks. So, just all the usual suspects there. Um, probably the best thing is go to my website, so gabrieldolan.com. Um, if you're interested in storytelling at all, I have a seven-day storytelling starter kit. So what that is, it's free. Um, you, When you sign up, you'll get an email from me once a day for a week, and it contains a really short video, like one or two-minute videos, and it will just help you get started on storytelling. It will help you start to think about, um, you know, what type of stories you could share, where you could share them, and it's a, it, it is what it says, a, a starter kit for storytelling. All right. Well, we'll post links to the website and to that starter kit on in the show notes as well so people can check that out all right now do you Excellent. have any parting advice for our listener today as we wrap up oh 
Well, maybe on story, I think maybe just to stick with the whole concept of brand storytelling is be aware of what you want your brand to be and realize you've got a brand because your brand is evolving. It's evolving and it, the choice is whether you take control of that or not because if you're not t- taking control of it, you're just leaving it for someone else to mm. take control of and maybe the end outcome is not what you want it to be. Mm. Yeah, that's great advice and, and I like that you said you know, if you don't take control, somebody else will. Mm-hmm. That was an expression I used a lot with the reputation work. Mm. Yeah, it's a good one. It's sort of like it's sort of like your calendar too about carving out yes. time to exercise <laughs> and think. You know, if if you don't take control of it, someone else will, and therefore you'll spend all your week doing other people's priorities and not yours. Mm. All right. Well, fabulous, Gabrielle. Now, who else should I get on this show, and why? Oh, there's a couple of people I think you should get on. Maybe you've even got a, a few colleagues of mine. Janine Garner, she does I've something. With Janine, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. She yeah. does some really good stuff on um, Simon Dowling. He's a really good one. Mm-hmm. He does some good stuff. Um, and maybe even Michelle Sales. She does a lot of really good stuff on connected leadership. So she might be a good one to have a chat with as well. All right. Well, we'll get an introduction to Simon and Michelle and. And we chat from we chat with Janine from time to time. So we'll check out when she was on last. Maybe it's time to get her on again. I'll see no. whether she's got a new book coming. <laughs> yeah, she not a new book. Janine and I actually just recently have started doing a once a month on a Thursday, the third Thursday of every month at six p.m. We do what's called the wind down, um, W H I N E, and uh, we get on it and it's live. It's streamed live, and we have a really good chat once a month about you know what's been happening mm. in the last month. Mm. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights and all those fabulous brand stories with us today so generously Gabrielle I've really enjoyed this and learned a lot Um, got some ideas to hopefully improve my storytelling and recognizing those stories that I can use for particular situations so thanks for that Uh, all the best for the future and let's stay in touch and maybe when lockdowns are done and dusted we can um, share a glass of Shiraz together (laughs) with wine drops not eye drops drops. (laughs) yeah thanks Jürgen Bye. I hope you enjoyed that insightful and really engaging conversation with Gabrielle and took something away from her episode. Gabrielle certainly lived up to the title by telling some wonderfully magnetic stories. For example, the touch the wall moments and the wine drops story. I love that too. I'm curious to know what you took away from Gabrielle's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Gabrielle Dolan. That is G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E-D-O-L-A-N. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Gabrielle Dolan. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Gabrielle, as well as links to her website, her books, her social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. If you like this episode, please don't keep it to yourself. Share it with two other people that it might help, or even more people that it might help, because you're doing them a favour by sharing this fantastically valuable information. Tag me in on that chair and I will reach out to you with a special surprise. 
Gabrielle suggested that we have a conversation with Simon Dowling and with Michelle Sales, both speakers, authors and trainers on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Simon and Michelle, keep an eye on your inboxes for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Gabrielle Dolan. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including sales expert Oscar Chavez and Trey Taylor, author of A CEO Does Only Three Things. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.